This is Authors in Focus. Hi, I'm James Reed, a fantasy author publishing under JMD Reed. My first series, The Storm Below, is now out as a full box set. Today, I'm joined by Michael Camarillo. He is the author of Keeper 829, The Keeper Program Book 1. How are you doing today, Michael? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's uh, always great to have a, a new author on here. Uh, you know, it's it's fun. And I like I like these late afternoon podcasts. Most of them choose like this my earliest time. And then I don't know. I'm still in the middle of doing a bunch of work. <laughs> I really need to change that. <laughs> I like being flexible, I guess. Um, I always have a dumb question or two, Michael, that I ask my guests. So, Michael, are, are you a dog person or a cat person? I would say dog. I think I have both. Okay, I mean both fine. I mean, there's, you know, nothing like sitting that fence, right? Yeah, yeah. How long have you wanted to be an author? Really, I don't think I ever wanted to be an author. I think there, it was always one of those pipe dreams of like, hey, I could eventually be an author. Like, that sounds cool. Um, it wasn't really in my plan um, until I decided to put pen to paper. And I realized that I, as much as I have always loved writing, but I never thought about it in terms of being an actual author um, until I actually started writing this story. But you always were just into writing then, yeah. is what you're saying. Like since like grade school, elementary school, high school. Yeah, throughout. As long as I can remember, I wrote everything and everywhere. And I did every single, I was, I went to school in Texas and we did what's called UIL. Um, so I was in creative writing all throughout my grade school. Um, yeah, it's just been something that I always, uh, I always enjoy doing. What's UIL? Man, I don't know what the acronym stands for. It's some academic organization that Texas has for public schools. Okay, cool, cool. I don't recall having anything special like that when I was in grade school. Oh, really? (laughs) No, I'm sure they had stuff, but uh, I don't know. I went to, I spent some time going to a school in New Mexico in the middle of nowhere, so. Oh, okay. Didn't have a lot of budget. Okay, yeah, that could hamper some opportunity i I don't know it's i guess it was a fairly i mean there was a military base there. that's why the whole town existed makes sense yeah it was it's a fun place where they they detonated the first nuclear bomb so oh nice yeah yeah out there in the desert outside alamogordo that's awesome so so anyways uh let's talk about your novel keeper 829 which is set in a dystopian future where humans are manipulated and experimented on by those with a cosmic vision Tell me about it. Who's our main character? So our main character is Nesha Gray, or Keeper 829, the title character. Um, She is, as you said, a uh, biomimetic being, which is an extraterrestrial that has been on planet Earth since... She has been here since 5000 BCE, um, but other keepers like her have been involved with human existence for as long as we've been in existence. Yeah, so I say biomimetic. I took that term from uh, biomimetics in terms of design because I was an archaeology and architectural major, so I dabble in some of that stuff. Um, But biomimetics, for those who aren't familiar, you know, is where we take biology and use it to inform our design, i.e. the bullet train in Japan. 
I didn't realize they designed it for people. I mean, it didn't seem all that much different from like riding a plane actually being on the bullet train. Yeah, yeah. So they uh, modeled the nose of the train off of the Kingfish. Ah, I didn't know that. I, I just know that they like to anthropomorphize the Shinsen Kamin and uh, into cute girls and then advertise them that way. Mm-hmm. You're over there in Japan. Oh, really? I, I actually, yes. Yeah, I actually haven't been to Japan. It's one of the few. I, well, I mean, not one of the few. I've been to 27 countries, but Japan is on my list. Awesome. Then, I've been to two countries. Oh, really? Japan. Japan. Yeah. <laughs> Japan, the U.S., two countries. Oh. So you got me a little beat there. Oh. And, and uh, no, I was actually born there, actually. So it was weird. And, oh. um, yeah, no, I was born, uh, my dad was in the Air Force. So I was born in Okinawa. Oh, okay, great. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. My dad was in the Air Force. Um, I was not born in Okinawa. I was born in uh, California. He was stationed over. Oh, okay. Yeah, there's a couple Air Force bases down in California. My dad, I lived in, my, my mom's, my, my parents are from California, so I've, I've lived down there. Like, uh, my dad thought he was getting stationed to, to Luke in, uh, Phoenix. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like my parents, so I was like four, my brother had just been born and they had a lease, their lease was up on their duplex like two months before they had to move. Oh, wow. So my mom and me and my brother, we went down to her parents in California my dad just moved into the barracks until like he was supposed to go down to Luke, and then they canceled it, and he stayed at McCord in uh, <laughs> up in Washington State. So we had to go back with like no place to live, and uh, it was a weird year because we like we like stayed in people's houses. Like he had a uh, his one like Air Force buddy was like um, TDY uh, for like a couple months. So we stayed in his trailer for, while he was TDY, and it was a very weird year. That's funny. I, I I know exactly what that feels like. My wife and I were both in the Army. So, yeah, I was stationed out at Irwin. Uh, but I was born in March Air Force Base over in uh, near Riverside. So uh. um, I never really got that far east. Like, my dad got to Holloman. So, like, I've crossed. I've been into Texas, but only to get to El Paso, which was the nearest airport. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, no, it's, uh, it's yeah, it's fun. Um, fun story is my friend was in the Air Force, and he got stuck in Army barracks because of Katrina. It destroyed mm-hmm. his barracks. And they paid him, um, I think, hardship pay because he had to live in army barracks as an Air Force. <laughs> I remember the first time I heard that, I was like, "You've got to be kidding me!" <laughs> no, he got paid. Uh, yeah, he had he moved into army barracks and got paid hardship pay because you know they live they have their own department, right? When you're in the yeah. Air Force. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> All right. Well, <laughs> we should talk about uh, let's talk about your writing. Let's let's talk more about Keeper eighteen nine. We took, we got totally sidetracked. So she's <laughs> like been around five thousand years, and she's been. You know, manipulating humans, and uh, does she have like a turn, of, like a change of heart or something? Yeah. So, all right. So there's a whole bunch of different layers. I actually just heard from a reader today, and he was, he said, uh, how many expletive layers are there in this book? <laughs> and he was saying it in a in jest, in a in a good way. He was like, this is awesome. But um, yeah. So there's so many layers to it. Um, she has been so by this time, actually, it's 2098. So she's going on about 8,000 years that she's been on Earth. But what happens is the Keepers are part of this organization that have been, or part of this civilization that's from a galaxy far, far away. No, not, no pun intended, Star Wars. Um, but uh, they're they're from this distant galaxy. And uh, basically their end goal is trying to achieve immortality. And they've been doing this for much longer than humans have existed. Um, and they've dealt with their own existential troubles, their own, you know, developing society and infighting. Um, what ultimately happened was 
they created the system of genetic engineering where they create intelligent species in different systems and they use those species to extract genetic information so they can perfect their genome. And ultimately, once they get to a certain point that they've extracted enough from the species, they will eradicate the species and then jump to that system and utilize the resources as they deplete resources in systems uh, over and over again. Uh, so this is kind of their nefarious plot and vision that they have, but they've created the keepers to be essentially shepherds of these, what they call yields. So the keepers are these biomimetic beings, as I said, that will go and essentially go into what's called species entry mode, and they will replicate whatever it is that they are keeping. So on this in this circumstance, it's humans. So our keepers look like humans. So you can't tell them apart. Um, you wouldn't be able to, they, they don't act robotic or anything like that. Like they're, they're highly advanced. But what happened before Nesha came to Earth was there was this civil war in this civilization. And there was a big fracture, ideological fracture that had two parties um, come emerge. And what happened was the uh, rebel or insurgency group infected one of the batches of the keepers. So the batches are your 100 series, so 100 to 200, 200 to 300. Nesha is in the ninth batch from 800 to 899. That batch was infected. And basically it's just a virus that they injected into the, you know, when they were being manufactured. What that meant was that Nesha and other 800 series keepers can effectively be separated from the central command system, which makes them susceptible to manipulation. It makes them uh, disconnected from key updates, and it allows them to assert a little more control and agency in their decisions, as opposed to merely robotic being fed from a central command system. So with that whole issue, that ultimately resulted in degraded memory files within Nesha. So she understands the basic premise of she only has 10 directives of the 20 directives that were originally uh, programmed into her. And this is what kind of shapes her worldview, shapes her perspective of her, her purpose. And she understands that she is supposed to be perpetuating this species and making sure they don't kill themselves. But she doesn't see the full picture. She doesn't know that it's supposed to go to a point that she's going to eradicate them um, because of this this uh, infiltration into her programming. So she is only kind of she is struggling with this identity crisis. So she has an idea of what she's supposed to do, but doesn't really know. And then she's also struggling with abandonment because she knows her makers are out there somewhere, but they haven't been in contact with her. She doesn't know why. She doesn't know what she's supposed to be doing um, other than what the few memories that are still ingrained in her. And then beyond that, the other aspect is part of keeping these species, they have to come up with ways to pacify them and ensure they don't, you know, war against each other and kill each other off. So one of the themes that I keep in this book is that the keepers created religion. So she was integral in giving humans this purpose and meaning uh, that is, you know, so intricately involved in religion, yet she, knowing that she has created this image of purpose, she knows that there's someone, or she believes there's someone that has made her, but she can't find it. So she's struggling with very human problems while she's trying to be essentially a mother to humans.
if that makes sense. Sure, sure. Uh, it sounds like a, a really interesting story. Where did uh, where did you get the idea for it from? I really just wrote itself. Um, I have struggled with a number of existential, you know, pursuits my entire life. Uh, I was raised Catholic, but I'm agnostic now. I've um, done a lot of reading in religion. I, I find it fascinating, um, and I'm very much into philosophy. So when I was writing, I really just started writing. I, I was in a transformative moment in my life. And I was writing a lot of my internal feelings and how I perceived kind of the world. And as I did that, these characters just kind of came to life. So I, I, I've been asked this before, and I actually intended to write um, historical fiction, which is why when you read the book, you'll find flashbacks to the, uh, to the past, which I got to get in some of my love of history in that aspect. But the science fiction component, like I had no intention to do that. I've always loved science fiction, but I never thought I would write it. Um, in terms of the concept for the keeper, like I, I have no idea where it came from. <laughs> it really okay. just appeared. Yeah, no, cool. Um, so you want to write historical fiction? Do you have any like uh, ideas for any actual historical fiction, or are you just gonna keep writing? Uh... I know this is book one when I saw there. So you're going to keep writing on this Keeper series or delve into historical fiction next? Yeah, so right now I'm going to focus on the series. I have a plan for all four books. I have an idea of where it's going to end. So I'm pretty excited to continue on this trend. Um, but I do have other ideas um, where I'm going to write some alternate history uh, series that I'm thinking of. And I'm working through the brainstorming of that right now. But that's project after I get through with book four of this series. So uh, you're a fan of alternative history books? Yes, very much. Well, yeah, I can only think of Harry Turtle Dove. I'm sure <laughs> there's plenty of others. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Quite a few. I mean, if you if you look at them, um, actually, funny funny book we're reading right now with my daughter is uh, the Airfare. I don't know if you've ever heard. I can't think of who it's no. about, but it, it's basically. Um, kind of putting a futuristic spin to the 70s <laughs> and it's okay. re yeah it, it's interesting yeah no it, it's fun stuff you know like what if aliens you know attacked earth in the middle of world war ii yeah yeah it, that's a crazy series yeah yeah i know um i don't know if you've ever seen uh man in the high castle on netflix or not netflix um i watched like the first episode so yeah um, that yeah it was fine I know it's based off um, Philip K. Dick yeah. weirdness. So I feel like it didn't have Philip K. Dick weirdness in it. So I was like, this you claim this is a, from Philip K. Dick, but I don't I don't see it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. That's just one of the first first examples. Yeah, no, but it is. Yeah, it's um actually I remember the movie like the Philadelphia Experiment two i never actually saw the first one they had never showed the first one on hbo when i was a kid but they always showed number two but it, it's the same premise like nazis took over america mm. right in this alternate timeline and he's like stuck in it trying to get back to like our normal timeline or whatever or to undo it or whatever yeah it, it all back to the rumored um uss eldridge experiments back in um in world war ii where they you know where it's claimed by like conspiracy theorists that the government sent uh the uss eldridge out of phase with like reality for like a few minutes with a big electrical experiment in philadelphia so yeah apparently the first movie is the time travel movie where he gets like he's on the philadelphia and he gets sent to our present which is the 80s i guess 
but I never saw that movie because I never showed it. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, yeah but showed the second one all the time on HBO. Uh, it was the 90s, so, like, you just had to watch whatever was on cable when it came on. Yeah, yeah. It's such a weird concept to think about. Like, what? I had to just, like, I had, like, three options for something to watch. I just had to, you know, watch whatever it was. Yeah, I actually, um, I, I'm not paying for cable or anything, and I wanted to watch football. So my wife got me the equivalent of the those old rabbit ears, but it's, it's a antenna that you... It's like a square, a very yeah, antennas, yeah. They're very you put it up on the window. So yeah, I was I was <laughs> scrolling through some channels and I'm like, oh my gosh, how do you even watch TV like this anymore? <laughs> I don't know. My parent I was at my parents on Saturday and they're like they're just you know, they're watching it with commercials and you're just like and they have like a TV they watch stuff on like Hulu and Amazon and stuff, but they still watch normal TV. They're 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 you know, they're in their sixties, so they just, you know, they just, it's fine. They're keeping cable alive. Yeah, no, me and my roommate, we haven't had cable in like a decade. Oh, yeah. So you're working on the next book uh, in the series, and you got some cool alternate history planned. So, uh, yeah, that sounds really great. So if you want to let our uh, listeners know where they can connect with you on the Internet. Yeah, so my book is available on Amazon. It's in uh, three formats right now, paperback, hardback, and an ebook. And I'm working on, I just uh, solidified the deal to get it done in audio. So it should be available by the end of April um, in audiobook. Um, but yeah, I am on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, all at Michael Camarillo Books. I have a website, michaelcamarillobooks.com. Um yeah, there are two places that you can get autographed copies, and that's on my website or my partner's website at uh, rebelscumranch.com. It was really great talking with you, Michael. Yeah, it was great talking to you, too. This has been Authors in Focus. You can find my fantasy novels on Amazon. Follow news of my writing at my blog, jmd-read.com, and follow me on Twitter at JMD Read. You can also join my reader group on Facebook, Fantastical Worlds of the Imagination. You can find more episodes of the podcast at fantasy-focus.com and wherever your favorite podcast is hosted.